Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Whoever this is, he is not real. He is not real. All right, I really got to see mine. I got to see mine. My hair is brown. They got to do better on Corey. They still have not gotten Corey right. Who do I think that is? JC? No. Maybe? That's uh, is that Khalil. Khalil? Is that Khalil? I think it's oh, Khalil. Khalil's kind of big. That's you. Oh, my. They did you dirty, bro. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to look terrible. Uh, yeah, I, I'm afraid to swipe for you. Go ahead. I look like Peter Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> DJ looks just like himself. I see what y'all doing. Y'all only doing it for the 90s and ups. They fixed me up! Ouch! Finesse move 53. Damn, cat didn't watch today's practice. But I'm serious, bro. This is despicable. Hey, mom, that look like him? I'll I give him that one. I'll give him that one. That kind of looks like Dayon. You think it looks like Dayon? 100%, without a doubt. Yes, because no. it's ugly. <laughs> That's great. What a way to close it off. Great work by the Chargers social media group. I love the little Peter Griffin thing. And uh, yeah, sometimes the Madden faces for both players and coaches are entirely accurate. And sometimes you look at it and you say, that's, that's not the guy. And for some of the legends who make their way into the game, they sprinkle them in. If you play the ultimate team on Madden, you can get players great players from the past and every once in a while you'll see like inside the face mask is like that that's not the guy we know what the guy looks like it shouldn't be that hard to replicate somebody who's an all-time great that we've seen for years if not decades so with that I say good morning Miles welcome back two straight days three straight business days if we're going to be all lawyerly about it but Monday Tuesday 4 a.m. Start time, which means what? Do you roll out of bed at like 3.55? What do you do? What's your? I'm curious about your routine. And I got some complaints yesterday that we spent time at the top of the show talking about our lives, about cooking and other irrelevant subjects when we should have been talking about football. So 
you know what happens when somebody complains. I do it even harder the next day. So what time Mm. do you wake up in the morning? Well, uh, my alarm is set for 3.05 Pacific, and then I have another emergency alarm set for 3.30 if I somehow ignore that alarm. But inevitably, I wake up somewhere in the 2 o'clock hour, and then I'm like, oh, I guess I'm up. And I start, I, I read a couple things. Like this morning, I read a couple items in the Washington Post and the New York Times, just trying to keep up with oh, the world before, oh. you know, we, because yeah. when, look, when things get going during the day and we're writing, like my brain is solely focused on football because that's what the money is for. So, you know, I got to make sure I'm caught up on world events and country events and things like that. And then eventually I get up, I, I take a shave, you know, I get myself together and then I sit down in the chair probably around, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes to eight minutes before the show starts. And then I wait for you. Well, so that, that that's yeah, my morning yeah. routine. If you're so yeah. <laughs> when we when we came back from our hiatus this year after five weeks off, I turned over a new leaf. Uh-huh. I got up here at least five minutes before the show began and I felt good about it felt nice to get settled in not be rushed that leaf got turned back over within a week and this morning while coming up the steps I almost face planted I don't know if you heard it but there was a there was a a sound of me falling upward on the steps unfortunately I caught myself and didn't break my nose against one of the steps that would have been an interesting start to the show blood streaming down my face as I say miles take over so, um, yeah, I try for 6 or 6.05 if you care. 6 o'clock is the first alarm. Okay. 6.05 is the second. I don't do an emergency. I figure between the first two I'm going to get up. Mainly I get up because I don't want to wake up my wife. I want to disturb her as little as possible. That is the impetus for me to get my ass out of bed when the alarm starts to go off. And a lot of mornings I wake up, just wake up five minutes before the alarm goes off anyway and get out of yeah. bed and off we go. But I, I actually try to post at least one story on pft before the show starts i worry about catching up on world events later in the day i get to work i don't care Uh about what's happening in the world in large part because the things that are happening in the world only cause me to be depressed and disappointed and fall further into uh, despair so um i ignore that as much as i can but, nihilistic Mike uh, well, making an appearance early on in the show. Oh man, it's only seven oh four, and we're already here. Oh boy, <laughs> we are we are here to provide everyone with a respite, an oasis, a break from the stresses of day to day life, which in recent years have included more and more strongly the concerns about all the crap that goes on that you would read about in the Washington Post and the New York Times. All right, let's get to it because today is a big day, and I. I need to make one observation before we go forward as it relates to what today is. So it is football related. Today's the day that all the rosters cut from 90 to 53. We have seen over the past couple of days the process beginning. The preseason's over. You know most of the guys you're getting rid of. There's no reason to elongate the process. Let these guys go. Let them embark on whatever the next phase for them will be whether it's football or non-football, why milk it all the way until 4 o'clock Eastern today? Although, inevitably, there will be a couple of teams that, for whatever reason, defy the rule, and we won't have an announcement of their final roster moves until some point an hour or two or longer after the deadline. But I've, I've noticed 
And I think it's like the one day a year that a lot of people in the media allow themselves to regard NFL players as human beings. One day. One day. The rest of the year, they don't. But that one day, you get this perfunctory, please remember that these people who will be losing their jobs are humans. Yes, thank you very much for that. Because the other 364 days of the year, a lot of people in the media never even bother to look in that direction. They're robots. They're interchangeable parts. We don't consider their humanity at all as they get injured, as they have surgery, as they get cut during a season, as they get cut in the offseason, as they look for a job and nobody's interested. We don't, we don't mention it then. But that one day a year, when cut-down day is coming, a lot of people in the media check the box, assuage their guilt, and remind all of us that the men who play football are human. And then they go back to forgetting that for the rest of the year. And good morning. <laughs> what am I supposed to say to that, man? Just what, agree with what me. Kind of, what kind, when of, in what doubt, kind of thing is that? I mean, no, I mean, you're not when wrong. In doubt, I, I agree with yeah, me. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, no, I mean, like, you're not, like I said, you're not wrong. It is this one day where folks are like, yeah, you know, there are going to be upwards of a thousand players, you know, who are going to lose their jobs today. And it's important to remember that they're human. And then you also see, I mean, I saw a tweet when I sat down, uh, I think it was Raheem Mostert, who was saying that, you know, like today may be a tough day, but only you, all you need is one person to believe in you and you got to remember to go on. It's sort of the same same it's a neighbor i guess to the kind of things that happen on draft weekend right where it's like oh man you know if you're not drafted all you need to do is get a foot in the door and look at me i was an undrafted player you go in you work your ass off and you know you may be able to make that team's roster or something may come down the pipe for you but don't give up on your dream and da 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 i mean like it's it is perfunctory, but it also has some truth to it in a way. I mean, I, frankly, try to never lose sight of the fact that players are human, right? And that affects what they do in the arena of the football field, if you want to call it that, and then outside the arena as well. Like people, Things that happen in people's lives affect them when they're on the job and when they're off the job. So, yeah, I mean, players are definitely human. Today is a tough day in and around the NFL for guys who are getting cut, you know, players who are on teams that have been on teams, you know, and then they just put teams aside. Yeah. You know what? We're going to move on players that have friends who they're very close to on the team and they may be heading out the door and they may be staying there. It's just, it's one of those days where, yeah, it's tough, but at the end of the day, the NFL is a business and it's a results-based business. So we have these days, we continue to move on, the cycle rolls forward, and next Thursday, we're going to have Lions at Chiefs to kick off the 2023 NFL season. Nine days away. I'm sure we have a countdown clock that'll show up right about there at some point I so. if I keep talking oh, I about lo- it long enough. It's usually Ooh. down in that lower right corner, so we know exactly exactly how many I'm so excited. Days, hours, minutes, seconds. Oh, there it is. There it is. Right on cue. Well done, back room. Countdown clock. And I've finally learned after all these years, because I can see in my vision just below the camera level, I can kind of see the camera the monitor, and I've finally figured out. Oh, now it's over here. See, I would do that uh, now there you if go. it's over here. <laughs> I have finally figured out how that's kind of not a mirror. It's and you have to anyway. Um, yeah, here's I, 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 let me give you let me give you let me give you basically the 
example that I think of. So many times throughout the course of the year when something happens, the attitude from some in the media is they know what they signed up for. But why don't they apply that same tagline today, that same pull string? They know what they signed up for. Everybody knows that from 90 to 53 is going to result in 37 guys going. And I would submit to you that most of the guys who know they're going are sufficiently self-aware to know they're going. They're just trying to do enough to catch somebody's attention. And maybe they'll be hopeful that their ship has finally come in. But, you know, when you're on a team, you get an idea of where you fit in the hierarchy. So most of the guys who are going to be gone know they're going to be gone. And, And that leads to a broader point. And I've heard some folks from the union's perspective make this argument in the past. And not that the union wants to have fewer guys employed, but ultimately at the end of the day, there's 53 on a team and there's 16 on, up to 16 on a practice squad. But you don't need 90. You really don't need 90. You know, the Vikings brought in Jordan Tamu last week just to play quarterback in the preseason finale so they didn't have to expose Nick Mullins to a meaningless game and get him potentially injured. So they brought Tamu in for one game and one game only. They needed somebody to play the reps. They needed somebody to check the box. And then they cut him. And they presumably told him that coming in, but it gives him an opportunity to put some performance on film, and maybe that helps him, and it gets him in a chance where he can come play football. And playing in a meaningless NFL preseason game is better than playing in no NFL game whatsoever. And he gets to know some people, and you never know when you're going to click with someone and how it's all going to fall together. But, but that happens. That happens, yes. and that's one of the reasons they have 90, because they get to get through the games that don't mean anything. You know, if they mm-hmm. would finally just get rid of the preseason altogether, they wouldn't oh, need boy. to have 90 guys on the roster because 20 of them are clearly not going to be there, and I think 70 is all you would need roughly in the off season mm-hmm. and through training camp and preseason, and then off you go with your 53 plus your 16-man practice squad. So now without a developmental league – that's the next best thing you have, the preseason. It is a chance for somebody to get someone's attention and maybe get a roster spot. But here's the other thing to keep in mind, too. For every guy that does that, somebody else is losing his job. It's a zero-sum game. You know, it makes me think of whenever there's someone that we're all clamoring that he get his second chance. You know, we build him up, we tear him down, and then we want to see them get their redemption. Somebody's great, they get in trouble, they lose their opportunity, and then some time passes. Oh, we really want to see somebody get a second chance. For somebody else to get a second chance, somebody else has to lose their first chance. Every guy that we want to see on a team again is going to cost somebody else a job. So for every success story there is in the preseason where an undrafted guy gets a job and his ship comes in, somebody else's ship is going to sink. That's just the way it works. At the end of the day, there's 53, period, on 32 teams. And we lose sight of that as well because we get caught up in the positive. But for somebody else, every positive is going to be a negative. And that's why the guys who make it today, like the last few guys on the roster, they still may be gone tomorrow. Once the yes. waiver claims start and the churning happens, oh, I made it. I didn't have to turn in my playbook. And then tomorrow the team claims a guy on waivers and they need to create a spot and they bump the guy that as of a day ago thought he had finally made it and his dream had come true. And it just continues all year long. So my, my point, my point is this. It's not enough to just say, just like you get a a reminder on your calendar, oh, today's the day to remind everybody that these players are human because the rosters go from 90 to 53. Let's remind them every day, every opportunity we can where that issue comes up. Let's Let's make the fans sensitive to it because the fans are desensitized to it. 
in part because the media is. And the more the media mm-hmm. talks about it, the more the fans will appreciate it and understand it. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, in one of these fights between millionaires and billionaires, the fans will, will consider getting behind the millionaires in their effort to get more from the billionaires. Well, so one of the things, and there's certainly a lot you said there, but one of the things that comes to mind for me is when you have 90 men on the roster through this part of the preseason, right? Like through all three preseason games, it does give more guys an opportunity to play, right? And, you know, there are teams that take the preseason more seriously than others, but I think it's good when you have that many guys that can go on the field and can get reps on tape. And so maybe it's not even just the 32 teams in the NFL, right? Now there is the XFL. There is the USFL. So there are more opportunities. So a a guy that comes in and plays quarterback for, you know, maybe one game, maybe a couple of quarters, he might not make it with one of the NFL teams in the practice squad. But, you know, if you get something good on tape, hell, maybe you go and you get in with one of these other leagues and you get to extend your career that way. And maybe something works out in the future where you get to come back to a camp and you impress and you get to maybe be on a practice squad or an NFL roster. I don't know. But I, I think that having 90 players through all three games of the preseason is a better system than going down from 90 to 85 or to 80 and then to 75 or whatever it used to be. I I prefer this method, you know, and we saw it a, a few years ago, especially at least last in 2019 is when they did it. And then there was a the COVID year and then they kind of changed things around and had um, different cut down days again. But I, I just think it's better when you can go from 90 to 53 because you're not, necessarily doing the thing where it's oh well we've got to cut down this roster but uh, well now we don't have as many guys to play in these meaningless games and I, I think having those different guys who can be out there on the field makes a difference in preserving the health of the players that you know you need you know for those 17 weeks of play that you have um, in the season and also it just gives more guys an opportunity to get something on tape. But think about that, though. Think about that. The idea that it, does that did that feel dehumanizing? No, no. But the idea okay. that those guys in the preseason that those games are so meaningless that we're just going to bring in guys that are not going to be oh. here. They know they're not going to be here. We know they're not going to be here. And all we're dangling to them is a per diem and the opportunity to put something on tape so they can maybe go play in the XFL or the USFL or the whatever in the hell FL may be out there in the future. And, you know, it reminded me of something. Every once in a while, I'll see somebody get on a soapbox about how the NFL needs a developmental league. The only, there's one reason the NFL doesn't have a developmental league. It doesn't see a way to make money off of it. If the NFL mm-hmm. could profit from a developmental league, the NFL would have it. But That's I think that really the owners look at it and say, we're still going to have 53 guys on the team. We don't care if the guy who becomes the great quarterback did so in NFL Europe or – in the UFL or the XFL or our NFL junior, whatever we would call it. We don't care. We're still going to have 53 guys on the roster. We're still going to have jobs. They develop how they develop. We're not going to have a developmental league for the sake of having some guy who becomes a great success story who takes away someone else's job because we still only have 53 of them. So that's why they got rid of NFL Europe. They were sick of making no money. They were sick of losing money. They were bleeding money on it. It's like, why do we really need this? And they got rid of it, and it's been gone for 16 years now. Um, one the one thing I would, I would counter... When you said, uh, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, the go one ahead. thing I would counter, you know, develop... Thank you very much. Uh, look, so there's no developmental yeah, need, but I think... Uh, 
I, I think when you have now 16 players on the practice squad, it does make a difference, right? You've gone from having 10 to now 16. And I, some of that was COVID related when it first got instituted. But I do think that it makes a positive difference when you have six more players that are available to you, not just to develop, but to say, hey, you know, somebody gets hurt then we can call them up from the practice squad for a game or two. And we still have that roster flexibility. So it's now, and people have said this, right? You know, it's not really a 53, it's whatever 53 plus 16 is 69 man roster kind of deal. Like that, I think makes sense, you know, where you have all these different players that you can sometimes come in and say, all right, well, we're going to keep you because we like you and we want to develop you. And maybe it's not this year, but if you, you know, continue to work, then it could be next year that you start to get onto the 53-man roster, that you really start contributing. And I, I think that that helps in terms of the, what the development of different guys can be when you have the 16-man practice squad as opposed to the 10. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Two more points before we pivot to actual news. Although we've been talking about football. It's not like we've been talking about cooking eggs and chicken thighs and having too much rice. Rice. Um, I, I, I did catch the comment you made earlier when you said you said a lot of things there. That was a nice way of saying, man, you talked for way too long. And it reminded me, it, it reminded me of the clip I saw yesterday from Undisputed as Skip Bayless just wanted to get up and run away when his three guys, when you go from two to four and you got three other guys that like to talk, there will be moments. And the clip I saw was two minutes and 16 seconds long where Skip Bayless of all the human beings in the world was unable to get a single word in for 136 seconds, if my math is right. And it rarely is not a single word. So I like the fact that we don't talk over each other. I like the fact that for the most part, we don't grab the microphone and hold on to it for an extended period of time. And when we do, we don't say you talk too much. Like Skip said at one point yesterday, we just say, you said a lot there. (laughs) All right. Let's say something about 
Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. Tanks for everything, Arizona. And we'll, we'll talk more about my theories about the Cardinals after we get to the news. Kyler Murray will be on the reserve physically unable to perform list, which means he will miss at least the first four weeks of the season as he continues to recover from the torn ACL he suffered last year. That is not a surprise. We did not expect him to be ready week one. Of all the quarterbacks in the NFL, this is a guy who needs to be able to fully harness his speed, his agility, his change of direction, pressure on the ACL, tension, planting, cutting, darting. He needs to be 100%. He needs to be ready to go. The big surprise yesterday, though, was that I don't know how big of a surprise it is. I don't know. We just thought Colt McCoy was their guy. They love Colt McCoy. And now Colt McCoy's just gone. But Colt, that after, uh, you know, the vibe post-Murray being injured was, well, we'll just ride with Colt McCoy until Kyler Murray comes back. And Colt McCoy does this and Colt McCoy does that. Colt McCoy packs his stuff and leaves. And now it's Josh Dobbs. Oh. Dude, they just grabbed. No, no seriously. Josh Dobbs. They could have Josh Dobbs. Oh, there it is. With a Thank heart. You. Thank oh, you. Oh, bleep off. Thank you, Colt. You know, Thank you with a little heart from the team account. I mean, the team <laughs> social media has nothing to do with, you know, the front office and ah, the ah, decisions ah. that they make. They don't. No, 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 what no. What do you no. mean? Don't, 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 oh, don't. No, 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 no. What do you mean? What do you they mean? They work for them. Don't yeah, do that. Do. Don't, give, don't, don't let the teams off the hook for this. Oh, the social media is, it's not some independent entity. You, you worked for the Rams and the Panthers. I know it's that's why I'm making umbrella. this point. It's, it's all right, under the same but umbrella. So management, but so oh. management can say, stop this. It's still from the Cardinals. It's not from the Cardinals social media team. It's going out there to the world as the Arizona Cardinals and every other team that does this, when they fire a guy with this public billboard of thank you with emojis and acting like everything's great, you just told the guy to pack his shit and leave. You yeah. can't thank him and act like everything's great. He's not happy about it. What are you right. doing? So yes. my point is the social media people may be inclined to do it, but the grownups in the room have to say, this really isn't the message we want to send to the world. We all know what we just did. Let's not try to make it look like something that it isn't. I, I, I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, the social media folks are not the ones who are making the decision. The social media folks are the ones who have like a lot of empathy when they have built relationships with players and different guys. And then, yeah, they get fired. And then it's like, crap, like, I like this guy. You know, I've worked with this guy. I have a relationship with this guy. So they are really thankful for what Colt McCoy was, who Colt McCoy is. And so, yeah, they're going to say thank you. And I, like, my brain understands that aspect of it. But I think that, like you just kind of said, there's a point where, like, we're going a little bit too far here. You know, they fired the guy. The front office did it. You know, the, the general manager, the head coach, they came together. They made a decision, right? And so when you're saying thank you with a little heart, like, yeah, the social media team may say that. But at the end of the day, it's at AZ Cardinals or whatever the hell it is on uh, whatever the website is called now. So, I mean... At the end of the day, to me, like the little heart is really what puts it over the top where it's just like, stop it. You know, like you, he was cut. OK, <laughs> like, at the end of the day, he got fired and the organization fired him and you guys still work there. He doesn't. We don't need to do like little hearts and stuff. Like, come on. 
And and he started six games. Only- you know, it's not like it's not like he's a franchise legend that they let go of. Okay, it's Colt McCoy at the end of the day, and I have love for Colt McCoy. I do. I grew up in Cleveland. I was Draft watching pick of the Browns, 2010, third round pick. I know. 2011, and James, 2010, close James, enough. No, they no, know no. Who we mean. I, no, it was 2010 when he got drafted. I'm going to say in 2011 okay. when James Harrison nearly football. decapitated him on Thursday Night Football. I was watching, and it was really tough to watch when he then got sent back out there. So I will always have love for Colt McCoy, but, like, you know, he's still Colt McCoy. Hey, this is not – yeah, the, the whole thank you stuff. That's what I tweeted yesterday when the Browns cut Cade York. Like, oh, man, is he going to get a thank you graphic? Although maybe he deserves one for the kick that beat Baker Mayfield's Carolina Panthers last year. I don't know. But, jeez. Enough with the thank yous. The Colt McCoy concussion and the fact that the NFL and the Browns and whatever trainers and doctors were there let him continue to play was shameful. And it was it a was step awful. forward in the evolution of the NFL having better systems in place to prevent a player who was clearly concussed from continuing to play in the same game because that second concussion is the one that can literally kill you. And Colt McCoy's father spoke out in very aggressive terms the next day, which was great for him. Now, I'm sure the Browns didn't like it at the time, but it was great that he did it because the whole thing kind of pushed forward this realization and this sensitivity that should have been there in the first place that there is a point where you have to pull the guy out of the game and take his helmet yes. away and say, Absolutely. you're not playing anymore tonight. And I, and I won't be calling Mike Holmgren for playoff tickets at any point soon either, you know, since that's one of the things that he said in the aftermath of that. Yeah. Um, let, me, uh, let me just say this. When NBC inevitably fires me, <laughs> anyone listening, currently in the back room, currently elsewhere in social media, I want the thank you. I really want the thank you. When they fire me, I want the thank you. And I want at least one heart emoji. Not a broken heart emoji. I want a heart emoji. A real heart emoji. When I'm fired, please. All right. So now the two quarterbacks on the active roster for the Arizona Cardinals are Checks Notes, Josh Dobbs, and Clayton Toon. You know, at a time when we have three rookies starting week one, we could have four. We don't know because Jonathan Gannon, the first-year coach of the Cardinals, won't tell us. Here he is when asked yesterday which of his two remaining quarterbacks will enter the field of play when the Cardinals face the Commanders on September 10. Yeah, I think we got a plan in place, but I want to see them both play football still. This week we got some work, and then the following week we got some work, but I feel good where we're at. Uh, Well, I'm not going to name a starter because I think it's a competitive advantage for us going to Washington, but we'll know who the starter is. Silly rabbit, tricks are for kids. He'll never keep it secret. First-year coach, Eric Mangini learned that the hard way. You're never going to keep that secret. Although, he may benefit from the fact that nobody really cares. That may help him. Like... Nobody really cares who the Cardinals week one starter is going to be, but inevitably they're going to show up for practice next Wednesday. Somebody's getting the first team reps and somebody's going to say something to somebody and somebody's going to tweet that the starter is either Clayton Toon or Josh Dobbs, even if Jonathan Gannon insists on not saying it. So, and a rookie mistake. And again, nobody really cares. 
We're not choosing between Steve Young and Joe Montana here. Come on. And, and watch, the guy's going to go out and put up 35 points against Washington and win the game. But, but let's be realistic about where the Cardinals currently are. Strategic advantage, it doesn't matter unless the strategy is to lose. That's the only remaining question for the Cardinals. How committed are they to this path of ineptitude that will cause them to secure the first overall pick in the draft? Because it feels like, it looks like, it smells like, it sounds like they are tanking, Miles. Uh, well, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's not a damn mongoose, right? I mean, I... I I, I tend to agree with you that it kind of doesn't matter who it is between uh, Pet Singh, excuse me, uh, Josh Dobbs and um, what's this other man's name? Oh, Clayton Toon. Clayton Toon. <laughs> Clayton, oh, Clayton, name that tune. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, I apologize. I'm not really, you know, up on my Cardinals fifth round picks, maybe as I should be. But look, Pet Singh is, of course, their offense. No, because you're reading the Washington Post or the New York Times in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, and I have it written down and I just, you know, it slipped my mind because like, look, I I think you're kind of right that it doesn't necessarily matter. They do have, I guess, some element of surprise where it's you don't know what the offense is going to look like. You don't know who the quarterback is going to be. You don't know what the quarterback is going to look like operating in that offense necessarily because Josh Dobbs uh, snaps last year came with the Tennessee Titans. It's not like that offense is exactly the same as what the Arizona Cardinals are going to be putting out there. So there is, to Gannon's point, an element of surprise and competitive advantage, if you really want to call them an advantage, that they do kind of have. But, you know, there's only so long that that lasts because you're going to attack a defense in a certain way, right? And once Jack Del Rio figures out in week one how uh, the Cardinals are going to attack that commander's defense, then you adjust and you figure it out. And then you say, okay, well, now that we know what they're trying to do, we can stop it. So, that competitive advantage, like I said, if you want to call it, that only will take you so far. There is another quarterback, at least on that roster. It's David Blau or Jeff Driscoll. Maybe both of them are there. And I looked this up and I did not write it down. So they're choosing between name that tune and Joshua Dobbs, presumably for <laughs> the starting role. But, you know, I there's there are other guys that are on the roster. I just, I like I said, I don't quite know who they are, but. Yeah, the Cardinals are not at the forefront of my mind as we really get ready for this 2023 season in large part because Kyler Murray is still on the physically unable to perform list and that's their starting quarterback. So, I mean, doesn't it, in theory, might behoove them to tank? I know we're not supposed to talk about that, but like if your starting quarterback's not there and you don't know when he's going to get on the field, isn't it better to be like, well, you know, gonna have to punt this year in some ways so let's just let the kids play and figure out what it is that we have and we'll see where we are at the end of the year and you know if we get a high pick and we get the Texans high pick if they have a high pick we're not going to be in a a terrible position for 2024 they actually do have four quarterbacks currently on the active roster I misspoke earlier Miles may not know the name of the guy who could be the starter but he does have the other two guys Nailed. It's both Jeff Driscoll ah. and David, Mr. Plow Blau, as the remaining guys for now. For now. For now. Yes. Or, or Senor Plow, depending upon which commercial, which version of the commercial, either the English or Spanish version of the Mr. Plow commercial. Regardless, actually, it was the Plow King commercial that attacked 
Mr. Plow. That's what it was. I have Barney no idea what you're talking developed. about. Plow King. You don't know of that Simpsons episode, Mr. Plow? Homer starts Mr. Oh, no, Plow. Sorry. Call Mr. Plow. That's the name. That name again is Mr. Plow. You're seriously not aware of Mr. Plow versus the Plow King? Man, you have not lived. You we have, couldn't watch have... The Simpsons in my house. Those children were too disrespectful yeah. to their parents. Well, that's true. Well, and also the parents choked the children. At least one parent choked one child, which was horrifying to see even in cartoon form. I digress. Okay, so, um, look, let's, let's, let's address this bigger picture question with the Cardinals. Are they tanking? Now, one thing we've learned from the NFL, and I've said this for a while now, the first rule of tank club is never talk about tank club. And they proved it with the Dolphins. Brian Flores, in a landmark lawsuit against the Dolphins, alleges in a complaint proffered to a court of competent jurisdiction by a lawyer, he alleges that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, during the 2019 season offered him the hefty sum of $100,000 per game that he lost. And the NFL investigated, and the NFL concluded that it was a joke. It was said in jest. I continue to wait for the punchline for the joke. I know comedy is hard. In that context, comedy is impossible. There's no joke there. But the NFL does not want to ever have to acknowledge that one of its teams is not trying its best to win every single game. Excuse me, because that's when you get Congress, you get prosecutors, you get a new agency that has power to regulate the NFL. You get all that stuff. If you do anything other than say our teams are always trying to win every single game, because now in an environment of legalized gambling, you got a big problem. If you acknowledge what we all know happens from time to time, because no matter how hard the NFL tries to ignore it, There is a bright line connection between being really bad during a given regular season and sitting in the best seat possible in the next draft. And as long as they do it that way, there's a temptation to just accept the fact that sometimes you just got to take your lumps. As I once heard Stephen Ross say in my presence, sometimes you just got to take your lumps. And this year, the Cardinals, and he wasn't joking then either. And if he was, it wasn't funny. The Cardinals are just taking their lumps. And we saw it in the draft when they started stockpiling picks for next year. And to me, the key was Miles. And I got a lot of pushback from Cardinals fans who I think want to believe their team's going to try to win. When they cut DeAndre Hopkins right before June 1, and all they had to do was wait like three days and split the cap charge, of $22 million between this year and next year. It would have been 11 and 11. They didn't do that. They took the full 22 this year. All Whoa, well, they, oh, yeah, you get all that pushback. Look, it's simple, folks. And we saw it when Aaron Rodgers took a much lower cap number this year with the Jets, when he reduced his contract dramatically and created an extra $10 million in cap space that the Jets didn't think they'd have. Rodgers said, we, now we've got the flexibility. If a good player becomes available, either at the final cuts or at the trade deadline, we can make a move. 
the Cardinals deliberately blocked themselves from even having that luxury. And if they ultimately didn't do it, that money carries over anyway. It's just keeping the money in your pocket instead of throwing it away until next year. That, to me, was the clearest sign they don't care about this year. This year, they know they're not going to be competitive. They know they're not going to be a playoff team. Now, I also see people in the media who will push back on the idea of tanking, Miles, by saying, well, the players are never going to they're never going to try to lose. No, that's not the point. The players are always going to try to win. The organization puts players on the field who can't win. They're going to try their damnedest, but they're not good enough. When you choose between Josh Dobbs, who just got there, and a fifth-round rookie to be your week one starter, you are not putting players on the field who are good enough to compete and win games. And this year, I believe the Arizona Cardinals, number one, don't want to, and number two, will never admit that they don't want to. Well, I mean, yeah, because if they admit that they don't want to, then they have real problems, as you just really, I think, uh, did a good job of laying out there. So, look, I mean, when you're not going to have your starting quarterback for any period of time, any strength, any stretch of time, then that's going to be an issue in the first place and when it comes to trying to win. Now, when you let go of the veteran quarterback who's been a backup, who's gone three and three as a starter over the last two seasons, granted it was a different coaching staff, but it's still, you know, a record of whatever you want to call it there with Colt McCoy, then that also kind of does send the signal of like, wait a minute, what's going on here? You know, this is a guy that has been in the building throughout the entire offseason. He's been participating. He had to recover, I think, from some sort of arm issue. But still, he's been there. So he understands what the scheme is, what it's going to be. Right now, again, you know, you have a tune who's been there throughout the offseason program, too. But he is a fifth-round pick. Dobbs is familiar with the offense because it, it comes from Drew Petzing, who was his a quarterback's coach they're in Cleveland for a time last year when Dobbs was still on the team. So it's not like they're unfamiliar with each other and he's unfamiliar with that scheme, but I think there's something too. Yeah. And and you wrote it this way, you know, if you're playing chess and one player has, you know, a full complement of pieces and the other team is playing or the other player in chess is playing with just pawns, then like, you're not necessarily really playing chess. You're playing with a hand tied behind your back, at least then that's kind of what, the Cardinals are kind of doing, but I understand it in a way because, again, they don't have their starting quarterback. And, oh, by the way, if you look at what's coming down the pipe when it comes to, you know, a top pick overall from next year, you got guys like Caleb Williams, right, who I think if the NFL had its druthers, that they would have been able to pick him number one overall this year over the two guys that came out of the draft, right? You know, if Caleb Williams maybe had his druthers, he would have come out in this year, but he can't because, you know, he only had two years done in college. So that's one Drake May playing at UNC. It's another guy. So we don't know where this is going to end up for the Cardinals, but, and I hate talking draft when it's draft time. So like me saying this right now, like basically a year before it happens is weird, but at the same time, like that's, if you are anybody with a long-term vision for the Cardinals, that's something that's got to be in the back of your mind somewhere. You know, how can we set ourselves up so that we are in a favorable position in 2024? And whether it's through salary and money and this and just playing with pawns, I, there is a way to manipulate things so that you are in that kind of position of strength 
heading into the 2024 offseason and draft. Now, some would say, and Sean Payton, the coach of the Broncos, has said it on this program before when asked about how this this tanking thing does or doesn't mess with your broader program objectives. He hates the idea of it because your foundation needs to be, we are always in every circumstance attempting to win. Yes. And you do an injustice to the men that you expect to go out there and try to win when you tie one hand behind their backs by virtue of the talent or lack thereof you put around them. So it's not something that is conducive to a long-term strategy and culture. It's a cultural thing. It's not. You do it that and you lose guys in the locker room. But but not every team gets it. There's plenty of teams out there that put the fun in dysfunction. And the Cardinals currently are one of them. I mean, the Texans have have relinquished the title of the most dysfunctional football operation in football, at least for now. Most football, never mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, speaking of dysfunction, let's see how many times I can say the word football in the same sentence. The Cardinals are now the most dysfunctional team, as evidenced by everything we've seen in the offseason, the ridiculous statement that they issued after Terry McDonough filed a grievance against the team. That was embarrassing, and it was unbecoming right. to the NFL and to the Cardinals. And it's just one thing after another, and the Jonathan Gannon tampering thing, and it's this and it's that. They are dysfunctional right now. I'm sorry, Michael Bidwell, you may not like to hear it, but somebody needs to tell you, and no one in your, you know, your circle of people you pay a lot of money are going to tell you because they want to keep getting a lot of money. I don't care. I can be blunt with you. Your team is dysfunctional. So if you embark on this path, and it's probably too late to turn back now, but you're going to have a locker room that is poisoned by what happens this year. And you know what? It's an easy fix. Jonathan Gannon just gets fired after this year, like Steve Wilkes did after they did this in 2018, either deliberately or inadvertently, and got the pick that became Kyler Murray, you just tell Jonathan Gannon, get on down the highway, and we'll hire a new coach, and we'll bring in a new culture, and we'll have the first overall pick in the draft, and maybe we'll have the second overall pick in the draft because we got the Texans' first-round pick as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, whenever you cut a veteran quarterback who everybody thought was going to be the starter – right before the season starts and he's you know been taking the first team reps that's inherently dysfunctional because it means that you don't really have a good enough plan for what your quarterback is and that's you know people call it the most important position in sports especially in football right it's the most important position in football so there's one thing but like we can expand it to all sports but they call it that for a reason the quarterback's got to know every single thing that every single player on that field is trying to do in any given play so if you have a veteran who's been in the league for a long time, who started for the organization and he gets cut on the eve of the regular season starting, that is inherently dysfunctional. So yeah, I don't really know how else we can classify the Cardinals in, if, if it's not going to be that. I mean, the way they went about hiring their head coach was dysfunctional. They got dinged for a tampering violation and they self-reported it or whatever it was. But I mean, like these things are things that are signs of a dysfunctional team and until they get themselves out of it, that's what we're going to consider them. And I would say one other thing, you know, we talk about this culture of losing, right? Ask the Cleveland Browns, you know, that's why they had to get rid of Hugh Jackson in some ways, because all he did was preside over that culture of losing. And that may or may not have been his fault. I, you know what, there are different things that have gone out and whatever, 
But until they had a new coach, they had this just, I don't know, mired in just crap. One in 31 was awful. And the team was set up to be that awful. And yeah, you got Miles Garrett out of it and you got Baker Mayfield. But like, man, you can't go on like that and try to actually establish a winning culture in the NFL. You, you don't win. You don't establish a winning culture by losing. So, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Hugh Jackson, because I think one of the most overlooked stories in recent years from the NFL was that after Hugh Jackson was fired by the Browns, he filed a grievance with the NFL, accusing the Browns of having a system in place to tank and then making him the scapegoat when the system they put in place led to the natural result of one in 31. And what Hugh Jackson pointed to was a four-year plan that the Browns had that did not prioritize winning. Now, it didn't say it, but when you have coaches and executives who were getting bonuses based upon salary cap space that was carried over from one year to the next, based upon draft picks that were stockpiled in future years, objective indicators of a team not prioritizing winning now, and the league rubber stamped it. Why did the league rubber stamp it? We go back to the Stephen Ross was only joking when he offered Brian Flores a hundred large for every loss. You can't tell the world in an environment of legalized gambling that you got teams that aren't trying to win. The Browns had a four-year plan that put winning in the back seat, put factors conducive to losing at the forefront and they thought that would unlock something magical in the future and i think along the way miles they realized they realized the coach is going to lose the locker room at some point when they figure out what's going on so hey we got to fire the coach i mean you know they come and go thank you hugh jackson heart emoji and the browns move on and that's what the Cardinals will do. Just save that template, Cardinals social media team. Maybe by January, it'll be thank you, Jonathan Gannon, heart emoji. And off he goes, too, because their culture has gone to crap as they've tanked in 2023. And I'm sorry, Cardinals fans. I know you want to be hopeful about the season. And who knows? Crazier things have happened. Maybe the Cardinals are going to major league this thing, right? Maybe the Cardinals yeah. are going to pull movie like the I've Indians seen. did. Yeah, Joe Boo's not getting a refill in Arizona this year, though, Miles. You know, probably not. But, you know, Mike, the thing about, you know, setting your team up, you know, for the future and whatever we want to call it, like, I I don't know that it's the best thing. Because, look, in the NFL, we have a system in place where guys get drafted and they have four-year contracts. So, really, if a coach comes in and the coach isn't winning within three years, then that's a problem and, you know, the coach is going to get fired. And and the way it works, that makes sense to me. But you see every year that a team can hire somebody and then that person can start turning things around almost instantly. Like, look at what Brian Dayball did last year, you know, for the New York football giants. It's not like you have to intentionally be bad in order to turn it around and be good. You know, Kevin O'Connell comes in and they make it to the playoffs. They win the division. Sean McVay in 2017, he comes in and I watched him turn that building around. So that's why this whole thing of, oh, well, you know, 
we have to do X, Y, and Z in order to do, you know, A, B, C in the end. Like that, I don't like that because you really can turn things around quickly in the NFL. It does not take losing for a season or for two seasons to then say, oh, well, all right, now we can do that, 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 and we can stack the blocks and we can do this and that. I mean, yeah, you know, we might have said that the Vikings were the worst, what, 13 and 14, 13 win team of all time. And, you know, I guess some things bore that out in the postseason, but it's not like you can't develop a culture of winning in your first year of something. And, and I realize that I'm sort of undermining what I've said by pointing out the fact that Kyler Murray is their starting quarterback, the quarterback they paid last year. And yeah, he's not going to be ready, but you can still do things that can help you try to build those blocks of winning. And I think when you have a guy in Colt McCoy who was a part of that locker room before and he understands what it takes to be a professional quarterback and you replace him with either Joshua Dobbs or Clayton Toon, that's not a good signal to anybody. But it's all going to be forgotten. Look, the Cardinals aren't going to make the playoffs anyway, yeah. so who cares if they're 7-10, 6-11, or 2-15. and 15. But if they get Caleb Williams out of this – and he becomes the guy for the next 15 years. I mean, look at the Bengals. The same year that Stephen Ross was allegedly trying to lose and get in position to get the first pick, the Bengals did it naturally. They've perfected that craft before they got Joe Burrow. And then in comes Joe Burrow, and everything changes. It's, it's the true. moment where the world changes for that franchise, and the Cardinals want them some of that, plain and simple. Yeah. And it's yeah. tempting to go try to get it, even if it causes short-term havoc for your team to the point where you have to eventually fire your coach because none of the players want to play for him anymore because they know he presided over a blatant effort to not win games in 2023. We need to take a break. By the way, on the way out, Miles, in the event you never do see the episode, here is Mr. Plow, Homer Simpson. He had a special jacket. Ooh, interesting. Call Mr. Plow. That's my name. That name again is Mr. Plow. Grandpa Simpson actually played old man winner in the commercial and uh, it, it ran at 3 a.m. on local access TV for The Simpsons. And Mr. Plow became very popular when it was time to, to plow driveways until the Plow King came along. We'll take a break and we'll have more PFT Live right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.